Hi, my name is Winifred Mock, and this is Wynn's Literary Corner. This is episode five, and we are going to be looking at plays. I personally have a great love for theater, and I feel that when students study plays in English class, often there are certain elements or dynamics that are neglected because we're so focused on literary devices or language or you know just the characters and story, and we forget things like the audience, like staging, the technical side. And when we talk about atmosphere, it's not just the atmosphere of the text, but the actual atmosphere of the performance. Okay, so I'm going to be looking at a few texts today, just briefly. Firstly, starting with A Doll's House by Henrik Ibsen. So one of the key things about A Doll's House is the set. It is uh, set in a living room, and the first thing we read in the play is a very detailed description of how everything is placed. It opens like this. Scene. A room furnished comfortably and tastefully, but not extravagantly. At the back, a door to the right leads to the entrance hall. Another to the left leads to Helmer's study. Between the doors stands a piano. In the middle of the left-hand wall is a door, and beyond it a window. Near the window is a round table, armchairs, and a small sofa. In the right-hand wall, at the farther end, another door, and on the same side nearer the footlights, a stove two easy chairs, and a rocking chair. Between the stove and the door, a small table. Engravings on the walls. A cabinet with china and other small objects. A small bookcase with well-bound books. The floors are carpeted, and a fire burns in the stove. It is winter. A bell rings in the hall. Shortly afterwards, the door is heard to open. Enter Nora, humming a tune and in high spirits. Uh, and then it continues to describe what she's wearing and what she does in terms of action. So just looking at the set, as I mentioned, it's so detailed. Um, the fact that it's furnished comfortably and tastefully, but not extravagantly, tells us a bit about their social class, so their middle class. And we also know, uh, if you've read the story, that Helmer or Torvald is about to get a promotion. So they're trying to climb up the social ladder. We have these objects that are described, and the significance about the title, A Doll's House, is reflected in the fact that we never change the set in this play. So for all three acts, we are in the same room, almost like A Doll's House when you uh, take away the fourth wall. So you can see the significance not only of the set, the setting, but also of the title in this case. Okay, uh, moving on to Streetcar Named Desire. Now, similar to A Doll's House, both plays are stylistically naturalistic, so there's a realism to it. Key thing with Tennessee Williams is that he likes to use filmic elements, and this is seen in the lighting design and the sound design. Sound is often seen as an additional character in Williams' play because we can see how the music impacts the characters or reflects the tone of the scene. In Streetcar, there's the blue piano. We first take it for granted, it's just background music, and then we start realizing it's actually symbolic of Blanche Dubois' uh, mental state, that when she hears it, 
it's like it's really playing in her head and this hints towards that theme of madness. The soundtrack also gives us a sense of context because Streetcar is based in New Orleans and so we have these influences from the music that give us this sort of cultural context and we can also see that in the various ethnic characters that are minor characters in the play. The next text I'm going to look at is A View from the Bridge by Arthur Miller. Now, within the plot, within the storyline, you will have key moments, or beats as I like to call them, and in these beats we can identify conflict, dramatic irony, or even the climax of the play. Now in A View from the Bridge, I would say one of the key moments is at the end of Act 1, where Marco raises the chair above Eddie's head. Let me just read you that extract. Marco, can you lift this chair? Eddie, what do you mean? Marco, from here. Marco gets on one knee with one hand behind his back and grasps the bottom of one of the chair legs but does not raise it. Eddie, sure, why not? He comes to the chair, kneels, grasps the leg, raises the chair one inch, but it leans over to the floor. Gee, that's hard. I never knew that. He tries again and again fails. It's on an angle, that's why, huh? Marco. Here. Marco kneels, grasps, and with strain slowly raises the chair higher and higher, getting to his feet now. Rodolfo and Catherine have stopped dancing as Marco raises the chair over his head. Marco is face to face with Eddie, a strained tension gripping his eyes and jaw, his neck stiff, the chair raised like a weapon over Eddie's head, and he transforms what might appear like a glare of warning into a smile of triumph, and Eddie's grin vanishes as he absorbs his look. Curtain. And that's the end of Act 1. So, this event... It's a symbolic act of male dominance. Uh, it's a symbol of power and masculinity. And this tableau shows us a significance in a shift of power. Because Eddie, before this moment, was always the head of the house. But here there's a challenge happening. Another thing that's worth noting in A View from the Bridge is the use of Alfieri as a narrator, because Alfieri directly speaks to the audience. Unlike A Doll's House and Streetcar, where the characters are characters and the audience is uh, separated, here Alfieri actually talks directly to the audience and brings them in and says, there's this difficult situation that I've had, and he shares with us the story. The use of the narrator is worth looking at, and you probably might get a question specifically talking about his role. So, in conclusion, I just want to remind you that if you are reading a play, a play isn't just a text, it isn't just words on paper. A play is meant to be performed. So don't forget to look at these elements that you wouldn't find in a poem. For example, the set, what's actually on the set, including the props? What about the theatrical style? The three texts that I've chosen today are all largely naturalistic, but if you find yourself looking at something like Death and the Maiden or Sizwe Bansi is Dead, 
or even Waiting for Godot by Samuel Beckett. All of these are great texts, but they're stylistic and non-naturalistic and largely minimalistic. And the performance element will be very different from the three that I've talked about. So you might want to look into the theatrical style in terms of drama and not English literature. Don't forget to also mention music or any use of sound effects. The lighting, if it's mentioned, as well as the use of the narrator, especially if they break that fourth wall. Finally, you've got the climax. You probably will be talking about the beginning and the ending of the play. And don't forget the dynamic with the audience. How does the audience react? Sometimes you're going to be talking about the context of the play or what is the difference between um, the audience of that time when the play was performed and the audience today. So there are lots of interactive elements and dynamics that you'll want to keep in mind when reading a play. My name is Winifred Mock, and this is Wynn's Literary Corner. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and happy reading.